0: Hi, welcome to God Shots with Darlene Sperlaza and myself Lydia Cornell. We have an amazing show today with an award-winning recovery expert and author Lisa Boucher. She says, transformative experiences come on the heels of crises. Isn't that the truth? Author and speaker Lisa Boucher has devoted the last several decades helping women recover from alcoholism. Lisa is the author of Raising the Bottom, Making Mindful Choices in a Drinking Culture. An award-winning book that won the 2017 Best Book Award in the category of Women's Health, and places as a finalist in the category of Addiction Recovery. She also has an upcoming book about surrender, which I'll let her tell you about. After short stints where she trained polo horses, worked as a flight attendant, bartender, hairdresser, she realized that the time had come to implement serious change. She gave up drinking, revamped her life, and became a registered nurse, living a life of recovery welcome Lisa thanks for having me and hello to Darlene again I'm so excited to have you here and I'm gonna put the gallery view on now Lisa tell us how you came to believe that addiction recovery wasn't wasn't possible in hospitals you worked as a nurse in hospitals right, and right. you found that there was some element missing which I always say there's this Spiritual element they never talk about how did you come to that what is your definition of god if you believe in god i did and did you always or did this happen after your recovery and what was your recovery story
1: okay so the god part um that is the biggest part of recovery for most of us we find a spiritual path that works for us so i was raised catholic And that God, though, I think you mentioned in in something that I read, lady, was a very punishing God. So, of course, you know, and I know my grandmother was kind of fanatical. And so you were going to hell, you know, I remember hearing that a lot as a child. And so, you know, fast forward to my mother was an alcoholic. And so I can never talk to anybody without bringing her in, because she's such a huge part of why I had such a high bottom. And had I not witnessed, I mean, I don't think my mother drew a sober breath until I was 21. So that's when she got sober. So my entire life and her addiction started out with Valium, which was the big pharma's first billion dollar drug. And that's with the B. So that's how it started. She also was a registered nurse. She got the prescription from a doctor. You know, she's got this Italian husband It was not all that helpful Four kids. And yeah, I need something that... To... So that's how her addiction started, but it took her hard and fast. So it was the pills and the, you know, passing out and the car wrecks from the time we were just little. I don't ever remember our home not being completely chaotic. So she gets sober. I'm in my 20s, like I said. Um, You know, by then the whole God thing, I, you know, I do remember moving out two days after I graduated high school and I went to Columbus and I actually started going to church then. But then I drifted away again. And so when I got sober, I had a very circuitous route back to the Christian God of my childhood, but it took almost a decade because uh, when I first got sober, I think I was very angry at God. Um, you know, I used to make Santa Claus lists, right? I want this, and I want this, and they—I never got any of it. And so I'm like, "Well, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care." I mean, I had this very child, childish, immature concept of God. He was either going to grant my wishes or he's punishing. And there was just no, it was a very small box that I had put him or her or whatever. And so I spent a lot of time in new age bookstores and crystals and tarot cards and that whole thing and psychics, you know, and I'm searching, searching and I'm reading about Buddhism and I'm reading and I found my way back to, I happen to still love the Catholic church. I like all the angels and saints. I like the statues and the candles and, you know, but even now I church hop, you know, I have twin boys and they were, went to Catholic school and then they went to Catholic high school and neither one of them are choosing like my one son, I have two granddaughters now, super cute little babies, and they're not choosing to raised them Catholic so far. And that's kind of stinging, but they've gravitated more to the the larger Christian non-denominational, which is fine. You know, I said your job, in my opinion, as a parent, you have to teach your child God. And I don't think it matters what form that is in, whether it's Judaism, boot, you know, whatever, but we need to give our young people something to grab onto that's bigger than them that you know i find a lot of comfort in like angels and that kind of stuff and so i start that that helped me and and i think we're missing that i do believe and you know especially on twitter i mean there's so much anxiety and depression and all this and i really think if people would get more into the angels and things like that because they are God's helpers to help us and you know I was calling on the angels earlier because my husband my kids were watching our our son and daughter-in-law went to go meet the new um niece they hadn't met my other son's (laughs) <laughs> new daughter so we're watching the 110 pound bernice mountain dog and the kids rolled into the door and they're like oh we forgot the cage because at night you got to crate this dog he can't be rumped I'm like you've got to be kidding. So I had to go to the pet store and buy a big cage, and then trying to get it up. And my husband was, and I'm like, not angels, because sometimes his coping skills, you know. And I'm like, okay, let's just calm down, and you know, it all worked out, and, and it's all good. But you know, we need that in our lives. I, I believe, and I know I do. And so that that's kind of where I am now spiritually, back with the the God of my understanding, uh, Christian God, Jesus that is who I believe in. And so that's where, you know, my addiction, but that was a long couple decades to really get back there. Like I said, I was sober 10 years before I really got back to it. And then I did some other things like I was doing a recovery Bible study with a man he has since passed on, but it was at a Baptist church and he had spent 20 years in the pen. And he had a level of spirituality that I have never seen and really some of the I mean I have found some really spirituality that is so deep and so layered from people this man knew the bible I don't think I don't think he made it out of eighth grade okay but his knowledge of the Bible was stunning. I mean, stunning. And he could like pull passages and just peel them apart. And it was so interesting. And I did that for like a year and that helped me. So, you know, I did all these things trying to find my way because I was
0: lost, not only with the drinking, but I was lost. And and what was your first Um, And Darlene, I'd love you to ask a question too. What was your first practical application of the tool of surrender that first time you had to stop drinking? I mean, how did that happen? I had a mystical experience that I still am trying to explain to to people who don't want to accept the concept of God. And they keep throwing in the fear and punishing version. And I keep trying to say, expand your definition to include infinite love To imagine the infinite love in the universe that's caring for all of us. Right. Um, You know, like I said, I
1: had this high bottom. So I kind of, I can't say I had a spiritual experience that helped me to quit drinking. It was a matter of watching what happened to my mother hit this extremely low bottom. And her story is in the book, by the way. So um, that was kind of a little God story, how that ended up there. Because she had passed. She was on several years before I started writing the book. And um, because this is my fifth book. And she would say, I wrote, I was writing fiction. And she would say, why don't you write about alcoholism? Why don't you write about women? And I said, mom, there's so many legs to that stool. I really didn't know what area I wanted to focus on. And she passed. And about a year or so or two later, I get this whole thing like raising the bottom. We don't have to hit these low bottoms because my bottom was... Pretty much when I knew, let's see, my emotions were up and down like a roller coaster, and that's really not who I am. I'm pretty even keeled, so I knew something. You know, I I was we didn't have kids yet. My husband's a a lawyer, and so we were. He was trying to build a practice. We were had that lifestyle of like work in the day and then go out to dinner and you know drinks and all that kind of thing. So that's kind of how it was, but the drinking was really escalating for me, but I still wasn't a daily drinker by the time I got sober. And yeah, so I didn't drink in the morning, but then I kind of did, you know, like there were a few instances where my mom, when we were living in Dallas, she must've heard the cans popping, the beer cans. And it was like 10 in the morning and I'm painting my nails. And so she thought that was a little weird. So she started chirping in my ear because she's sober by now. She's Yeah, she's about seven years sober. She had this very devastating bottom. Um, And she got sober when she was like 48. So she was much older. But um, so, you know, that happened and we moved back. And that's when my drinking really, because, you know, being a flight attendant and living this, I got a lot of chaos from the job the irregular sleeping, eating, the people you're meeting. So when I, we moved back to Dayton and I went back to a marketing job and now I'm nine to five and I'm doing a normal life and I can't handle it. It feels so abnormal to me, this nine to five, what come home cook dinner. I didn't even know, like, what do people do? Cause I was always going to the bar. And so that's when it really started to escalate and then at lunch I started to drink and I had this little bar and so I had an experience where I went over I used to go at lunch and have just a couple and then that of course turned into three and then you're pretty much (laughs) by the time you come back and then I'd shut my office door but I'm furiously pulling on this bar door and it's it's closed but it's like during the week and I'm like I this you know that panic and that really struck me as odd like I'm overreacting like I'm furiously pulling this door and I look at my watch and it's 10 a.m and that really scared me because I'm like craving a drink oh my god never had craving before yeah so I was like but you know that was two years before I quit drinking but that planted a seed for me and then you know my husband said something about like I think you have emotional problems (laughs) because (laughs) you're all (laughs) over and I knew it wasn't emotional I knew it was the alcohol because I just couldn't predict how I would act I was either crying laughing, raging, some intense emotion. And it was just getting very
0: chaotic. Um, I can't believe I actually said, oh my God, because here my own I was had a coke dealer for a couple of years and he called, he said, you're an alcoholic. And I went, you're telling (laughs) me So now I'm looking at you going, that's not so abnormal saying 10 a.m let me in the bar. Right. (laughs) Darlene. Well, for, you know, for
1: a lot of people, maybe not. But for me, you know, and, and especially I'm at work. So that's kind of, you know, yeah, that's something you should be doing. So that kind of planted a seed. And then I ended up losing that job, got fired. Could you imagine that um, for arguing and fighting and whatnot and um, with the boss. And then I kind of, I made up this thing. I said, okay, I will know. And this was many, like I said, a couple of years later, but I said, I'll know I have a drinking problem if there were three things and I can only remember two of them. If I get drunk when I don't mean to. And that happened like boom, 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 three days in a row. This all happened within a week. And then the other one, there was this story where when my husband's brother died, we had this little Honda motorcycle and I was driving this motorcycle. I put a coarse light in each pocket and I'm driving on this motorcycle all over the neighborhood drinking and I'm going through the drive through the beer drive through and I'm buying like a single one. So after, I guess I'd been doing this for quite a while and the guy at the beer drive through was like, lady, why don't you just buy a 12 pack? And I was so insulted and I'm like, oh my God, I would never drink that much. I go home and- the beer cans are like cascading out of this wastebasket. And that was the first time I saw it. Like I was, I was in shock. Cause I used to be a very clean drinker. Like you drink one and throw it away. So there was never this big. And then you could just, I guess, lie to yourself about how many you had. And so I saw it. And then there was one other thing. So that's when I knew like, okay. So I remember I called my mom and I'm like, I need to come home. I mean, it was just like that. I just knew that that is what I needed to do. And I was very angry. I didn't want to. And so I started going to meetings. Well, when I got to Youngstown, you know, she had all her women friends, as you can imagine. So the house is buzzing, right, with all these women. And I stayed, I was going to stay a couple of weeks. I stayed a week. And I was like, you know, I don't live here. I need to go back to Dayton and, and try to figure this out where I live. And I did. And I stayed sober three months, going to meeting just about every day. And then I relapsed for a day. And I think I know what I did wrong. I didn't do anything. I just kind of showed up, compared myself out of the room because back in the, I got sober in 89 and it really was mostly older men who had drank long and hard and I really couldn't relate. And so It was difficult. And then I finally, I I guess I found meetings or something where women, you know, and I started to see some, but there weren't as many, I mean, there's just scads of them now, but it it just made me feel a little bit better about it. I mean, yeah, the people have gotten younger in the rooms, which is a beautiful thing. And And out here in
0: LA, you see movie stars in every meeting
1: and rock stars. I bet because it, it's just a ubiquitous problem and you know the shame in our culture we have this problem and then our culture like especially as a nurse oh w- yeah we need to touch on that because there's some information that people need to have but um it's just so hard to go out right without if you're diabetic and you pass up a cupcake people don't say why aren't you eating that cupcake why aren't you eating those cookies but you don't want to drink and you get questions you know not always but and that's very uncomfortable like for those of us I know Lydia you said you've been sober 27 years and and I think 16 so by now you learn how to like manage all that 18 is it darling Yes. Yeah, I mean, who's counting, right? Who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> well, those, you know, we're in long-term recovery, so it's not hard to go to parties and, and avoid it. But when you're a week or two or a month, it's a big deal. And that can- Sometimes it can be.
2: Sometimes it can be difficult. When I think that's why people with time relapse. Because you know what? I always say, if you unzip the program and don't do the steps and do what you're supposed to do, There's people relapsing at any age. We have one day at a time, you know, but I do want to, I do want to back up because I want to say something to Lisa um, and Lydia already knows this, but I'm a nurse practitioner. And when you, when you were talking about the nurse part of it and what I see is sadly missing is the spiritual part. Um, The part that Florence Nightingale really started out with. We've lost that due to the pace and the insurances and the acuity that we're taking care of now and different things. But you know, when you were speaking about nursing, it's like we do. I did my doctorate at the University of Alabama and it was on spirituality. And I did that with um, lipids with oh, a I lipid love so cool. and And it really like their their numbers changed. I'll just briefly touch on it again because we I've talked about it before on here. But I wanted to prove that prayer could reduce a lipid panel without any other intervention. And the University of Alabama took that on. And so we did, I basically used prayer and we added a new prayer each week. And we did this program for 12 weeks. And at the end of the day, when the statistical numbers was was completed, the LDL was down, the HDL was up, and the cholesterol was down, which is exactly what you get with a statin drug.
1: And so I think... So wait, so let me interrupt you. So, did you like pray for a certain group and then have another group that? No, no, they had to individually pray. It was prayer
2: okay. that they took that, and they, they did something oh, that they, they never okay. prayed. And we knew all of this from the lab draws, and we did a Likert style test, and so it was very interesting study. And you know, we see miracles all the time in the medical field, and I don't think people correlate that, but there is there's spirituality that we need to be bringing because you know what? That's what we basically learn. When, we're, when we get into recovery, we're basically learning, as you said, to refine our higher power, to, re- to redefine the universe. What does that mean to us? And mm-hmm. you, know, you talked about Catholicism, and that's where I have landed also, but that was a long journey to get me there through many different denominations. And what I have found is the word Catholic simply means universal. And if you go to the lectionary and you take a look at that, that is worldwide. Any church... Worldly will be teaching the same thing on a Sunday because that's what the lectionary is about. So the whole spiritual journey, people don't really get taught this. This is not something they teach us in school, you know. So we learn it. And I think becoming sober and in recovery, as you're saying, really helps us
0: to, oh um,
1: to get our footing, to get our footing together, you know? Absolutely. Well, that's- you know, as far as i worked in the emergency room for a number of years in a level one trauma center, and then I worked in psych. And what I've seen though, even I, I work at, I still work a couple of days a week, um, I'm in utilization review though. Now I kind of wanted to keep my foot, and so I could. It was relevant, so I I still know what's going on, kind of thing. But I don't know, darling. I'm very disappointed at the psychiatrists, and especially for people because they just throw pills at them. Right? Yeah, and nine out of ten people that come through the psych where doors have underlying substance abuse, they don't address it in a meaningful way. They throw antipsychotics on people that are not really psychotic. And it's just disgusting to me because it the same thing that happened to my mother, that's what happened to her. I mean, so she has this Valium addiction that's making her completely loopy and just about unable to function. And then they're throwing Thorazine Lithium. They're saying Mm -hmm. she's manic depressive. All the, it was ridiculous. And my mother literally could not function. Mm -hmm. And so when she finally she broke her neck falling down the steps, Mm -hmm. and finally found a doctor. When then she went to rehab because she'd been in the psych ward and it was just horrible for her. And I think she, you know, my dad was taking her to Cleveland Clinic and all these psychologists. and nobody said you're an alcoholic you what? have substance abuse you know let's get you to read not one in 25 years how was that possible and see, you know, you know what, what? I mean it's still
2: happening it's still you know, happening Lisa. i think that's where lydia comes into the picture very very just smoothly because we have that medical background and she does not but what she did know was we needed something to counter mm-hmm. this this world effect right now what's yes. going on exactly what you're talking about and now so when I got it's together it was God shots and it's wow. like how do you counter the darkness with light oh and, I love that you know yeah. I'm on the east coast I'm back when you talked about Youngstown I'm about 45 minutes from Youngstown Ohio is where really? I live where do you live I live in Weirton West Virginia okay is, oh, that's right she did say West Virginia okay yeah so that's where I'm at and so when you said Youngstown I thought you know what it's weird that we're all connecting because when i met lydia here she is west coast i'm east coast <laughs> and it's like we come into and, and, and we were brought together through the word god shots. we met the weirdest way one day uh, uh, to- how oh. did you guys meet <laughs> <laughs> oh <my> well, god. <laughs> she decided to have her attorney send me a letter <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> oh, it's so embarrassing. I trademarked the term Godshots years ago. Diane Cannon, the movie star app, told me to trademark it. She goes, because I use it all the time when I, I heard it in recovery. And I went, we should talk about Godshots more. And I trademarked it, thinking I could involve making a nonprofit for everyone to get involved. And then my attorney at the time got mad. He saw Darlene. He was the one who saw that you had been using it. And he wrote you a letter, cease and desist letter. And- <laughs> I had this be- I have a beautiful godshot website beautiful because I was having godshots and didn't know what to do with them We're all so- awesome. And then so I called her. We-, we talked on the phone I said why don't we just join forces because it's something we can give away oh, that's awesome I love that Yeah but here's the best part
2: Lisa. so she calls me up and you know like I got my phone and I'm talking to her and she's like Well, why didn't you get back to me? So we're having, I don't have any idea who she is, right? Now I'm busy. I'm working. I'm a nurse. I got things to do. I don't have time to listen to you. Tell me, take down this website that I've worked really hard to put up. But I'm I'm being polite because she's got a trademark. So then she says to me, She goes, I gotta go. She goes, Can we make a plan to talk next week? And she tells me her name's Lydia Cornell. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. So we hang up and I Googled her. I'm like, who is this person? And I see her bent over with her hands in concrete, and I'm going, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. And so never in a million years did I, I mean, she is the most beautiful person inside and out. And, And our relationship is amazing. And I told her, we were just talking about this. I said, there's no other explanation for us being together except God. There
1: is none. Right. There's right. None. Well, I love how you couch that, that we need something to overcome the darkness of that. And that really is a great way to put it because I feel like in the healthcare right now, there's a lot of darkness there is. and I'm not seeing these people get well. What I'm seeing is them leave and come back and come back and come back. And it's like this revolving door. And so many of them, you know, and let's not forget a lot of these men and women, women especially, they have kids at home, like I was, you know, when my mother was revolving through psych wards because these doctors didn't know what they were doing. Like, right. it, I think it's criminal what they did to her for 25 years. She was chemically, and once she got sober, she never took another pill except for, a, for blood pressure. Wow. She was but not she was, crazy, she, she was but
2: not you know, depressed. But, but see, that's, that's the key to our disease. That's, that's the tricky part. Whenever we say this disease is kind of baffling powerful, that's the very tricky part because when we go in to be seen by a practitioner of any sort, you can really look like you're bipolar, you you right. you're depressed, anxiety, Absolutely. you can have all of those things. And for somebody that's uneducated in this field, really, and I mean, and you know what, I have read a bazillion books on, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner, a bazillion medical books, nothing can prepare you like actually walking in the trenches. And so I believe we're a very powerful women sitting on this screen that have actually walked through that fire and we can actually look at people and help them.
1: Well, that is because you they're not getting the help they need and these doctors there's a lot of hubris and a lot of the doctors they have no appetite to learn they right. don't they're not interested in addiction and they just think throwing a pill I don't is,
0: know why. I,
1: I it's think, big pharma it's big pharma that's why
0: Yeah, no, But it's, so it's so also good. because they think this aa thing or or 12 step programs are an airy fairy kind of what is spirituality I want to bring it to practical application when I always start with Einstein said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And mm-hmm. I have we have countless God shots, and I'll tell you a couple of them that you talked about when you're in a bar. What do you do? But these matchups, these bizarre, uncanny glimpses of, of this peaceful serenity or this higher power doesn't have to be couched in religion. It can, we can open the door to people who are afraid of religion. And make it more scientific, the way you're doing with the experiments with the lipids. We have, to, I'm, I can, I can pinch. I want to pinch myself. I had to pinch myself to believe these miracles happened to me, and I want to unwind it back and figure out because I wasn't from a very religious background. I'm going to wind it back and prove it. I want to prove God through science because science, God is love. It's universal love, and that's kind of what program is all about it's sharing your experience, strength, and hope, and helping each other. It's not airy fairy. It's not hard to understand or some esoteric theory. And you it's know, not- and mm-hmm.
2: I'm I I do want to just rewind. You said wind it back. I want to rewind to something that you said, Lisa, early on in your conversation when you were talking about the gentleman that you did the Bible study with. I believe that what had been in prison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, doing a lot, either as being a practitioner or being in recovery, I've been into jails and I've talked to people and I've done that type of thing as service, right? And the most profound thing I ever heard from a man, and this is for all of our listeners, for whatever you're going through, just hear this statement because it's profound. He looked at me and here he is incarcerated for life, for murder, Right. And I'm not afraid to be talking to him because you, all of us on this screen know, right? And he looked at me and he goes, you are one choice away from being me. Mm -hmm. How strong is that?
0: So for anybody listening,
2: that's true. Every choice we make is going to be our next building block, either for good or for bad, right? And all I can tell you from my life, 18 years ago, because I will have 18 years on Sunday, Oh, congratulations! Thank you, thank you, thank you. But um, so that type of thing right there, I was making very poor choices and didn't even know I was making them, right? And so once you have recovered, you have at least an option to try to make better decisions because we're all going to fail. We're human. That's the human side. Well,
1: somebody has like said eighty percent of the people in prisons, drugs or alcohol, is. You know, exactly. some are probably in blackouts and don't even know what
0: they did. That's 85% right. of all crime is drug and alcohol related, or even higher, actually. Right. And think That's- they need help on that level, not with drugs. But what do you call surrender? Your new book coming out is called? It, it's
1: called Pray, Trust, Ride, Lessons on Surrender from a Cowgirl
0: and a King. Oh, wow. See, so- I want to what is the alchemy? What is the magic? See, I have to say this one thing. When I surrendered that first day, a transformation came upon me that was so tremendous. I, I, was, I started crying, a river of tears, 20 years of hell lifted off my shoulders, and then I never craved a drink from that moment, that one surrender. And That's what I'm trying to say is that you don't have to, if you can take the simple step of, of letting go, how do you let go of your worries and fears? We need to help and lift up people that are really suffering from all in all walks of life, especially young people who have no grasp of spirituality. What is the concept of surrender? How do you do it?
1: Oh, Lydia, that is a loaded question. That's a tough question because I think it's really different for everybody. And I do think it's impossible to surrender as long as you're living in pride and ego those two things will block surrender, right? So that's why for most people, they have to get so beaten down until they say, okay, okay, God, I, you know, and a lot of a lot of us, let's face it, we're strong-willed, you know, we we are very capable people. Most of us are really bright, like they say in the big book, but I have found that to be true. There's a lot of um intelligence. And so you know i don't remember ever saying i'm going to beat this i'm going to i don't remember that but it's just that <sighs> surrendering to like i can't do this you know I, I my biggest surrender moment was in my marriage and i want to share this little story so yeah. we're married 4 years i get sober then immediately i'm pregnant with twins and Then, you know, I have these twins and then they're six months old and I go to nursing school and my husband's furious. He thinks in his twisted thinking, oh, you don't want to be a mother, blah, blah, blah. Well, no, I had the reality like realization of, okay, if this marriage doesn't work, I really need to be able to put food on the table for my children because I've been in and out of college for a decade and hadn't finished my degree, even though I was entirely capable. My drinking impeded any progress you know so i decided i need a mom job that's kind of why i picked it not you know (laughs) um, i just wanted something that was going to be flexible and so i said i'm gonna go to and that's what i did and it was the most difficult years because i was very focused with my life was a very small world recovery school and the grocery store and my babies. And that was my world for three years. And our marriage was falling apart rapidly. And we get through all that and he was going to move out all this stuff. And, you know, some people saying, well, you should go counseling. I'm thinking, no, I don't want to do any of it. And I remember standing in my kitchen. I said, God, if you want this to work, you are going to have to fix it. Mm -hmm. I'm done. I'm not doing counseling. I'm not doing anything. And I felt this weight, like you were talking about Lydia, where you have these moments where you just feel like this weight fall off. And I knew I really surrendered because I wasn't attached to the outcome. I didn't care. And I think we can never surrender as long as we're attaching ourselves to a specific outcome. Oh, my God. Exactly. That's control. We can't control. Right. Yeah. I let it go. And I thought, you know, Lord, either you want it to work and it'll work or I'll end up divorced, but I'll wait till I graduate nursing school and, you know, and it'll be what it'll be. And here we are, 37 years later, it worked, you know, and we did nothing to make it work we didn't really work at it we just let it go oh my and god cool and my kids were thriving you know because for a while they they were getting really clingy because of the fighting and the chaos, you know how that goes and um yeah so it's just that was my biggest surrender more so than with the drinking because you know I think we get sober but now we have to live in this And that's Mm -hmm. the hardest part, you know, stopping drinking was the easiest part, really. It was the living without the drink that is the challenge, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. so that was a big surrender moment to not turn back to the alcohol to go to not live in fear of what's going to happen. Oh, my gosh, you know, because you can project. And I can still do that, but you know, I didn't, I really surrendered and I had so many other things to focus on that. I didn't keep taking it back. Like I do with a lot of other things. Right. So I really gave it to God and I let it go. And I just kind of went on about my life and didn't even really care. Like there was no weeping and nash. <laughs> there was none of that. In fact, he was wow. getting upset and said, well, you know, he was going to move out and then he brought divorce papers home that he had drawn up and I'm reading them going, this is absolutely ridiculous. How are you going to live? <laughs> I mean, it was so ridiculous. He was really <laughs> generous. I'm like, well, you're being a fool. So I just ripped those up. I'm like, this
0: is ridiculous. So, oh, you know, if you come from love and service in your heart, like whenever I do public speaking, I go get my ego out of the way help me be of love and service to whoever's in the room. And if, if and, and in that case, with your letting go, you would hit, hit your bottom with that at that yeah. point. Right. You knew you loved him enough to not let him take all, you know, give you all his money, which right. is interesting. Right. Right. you just
1: like, if i you know, you gotta be realistic too, right. That yeah. what's going to be workable in the yeah. long run and, and kind of things. So I don't know, those things, that was a really big, pivotal surrender. And I do remember, too, I was kind of baiting him because I wanted to go to Lourdes, where the Blessed Mother had appeared to the peasant children in the spring. Mm-hmm. So I did go there, and I did get a spiritual healing because I remember saying, and it was kind of, I guess it was a little, I was I was baiting him a bit because I was thinking to myself, say one word about me going, and, and this is going to be it. So I remember saying, I'm going to go to France. I want to go to Lourdes and I need you to do the kids. And he didn't say one word. And I went and I came back with strength and I had miracles there. And that's a whole, there's lots of little stories about what happened in Lourdes. But um, I think it gave me the courage and the strength to keep going in a situation that was less than ideal at the time, you know, until Mm
0: -hmm. it all
1: kind of worked it out. And, and I know when I was first sober too, probably within the first, after that one day relapse, I had a very beautiful spiritual dream of Jesus on the cross. And Mm -hmm. I knew then I was on the right path for me. That was kind of like my spiritual that I'm like, okay, this is where God wants me.
0: Beautiful Sober. Oh my gosh,
1: sober and be a sober mother to my boys, you know, and they've never seen me drink. Um, You know, they they're 32 now. So
0: awesome. My son's never seen me drink. But the first six months I drank with him, driving him in the car when he was a little baby. Scary,
1: isn't it? The things and then you look back and you realize how badly it really hijacks that prefrontal cortex, the alcohol test, because it just shuts down all
0: that higher reasoning, and you know we do things that we would never. How do, you, how do you tell people to stay sober daily? I mean, I still am. I have to pinch myself to believe I'm still 27 years. Old. I've never craved a drink since that first day. That's weird, you
1: That's know. Like,
0: and I, I do have a daily reprieve, and I do pray every day. I do surrender every day. I do the third step and the seventh step prayer. But there are times life gets you really weird in my squirrel cage. But I still, that's the one thing I won't do. How does that happen? You have like
1: habits, you know, those habits of a morning program and that. And I tell people that are struggling, like you all probably do too, that one day at a time concept really is magical. Because I was very, like I said, having a higher bottom. Nobody told me I had to quit drinking. Nobody told me I had to go to AA. So it was all just... I'm deciding. And so it was very, very difficult to accept that I was an alcoholic because I kept going, but I don't drink every day. So I'm going to these meetings and, you know, I'm not hiding booze in my closet. And I was very open about, I was never hiding alcohol. I was drinking, you know, mostly in bars and clubs or whatnot, but So that was really hard. And it was just, that's what helped me is they, these women were so wise and they'd say, Lisa, just worry about today. And you know, you're an alcoholic when you get sober in June and you're worried about New Year's Eve because that's my birthday. And I was like obsessing about what I'm going to do New Year's Eve. How am I going to stay sober New Year's Eve? And they're like, it's June. Okay, it's June. (laughs) Don't worry about December. (laughs) And I had to literally like listen (laughs) to people and pull it back to just today and with the twins and school and that it was about all I could handle and you know I look back and I said wow that was a god shot because as hard as it was if it wasn't that hard and that structured I would have probably not be here sitting here talking to you because I realized I was so undisciplined. And, you know, we raised ourselves. We were all running amok when we were kids because of my mom. And then my father was this rageaholic who wasn't home all that much. So I never really had structure. And then I had to build my own and God kind of did it for me. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you these babies and, and I'm going to put you back in school and, you know, you're going
0: to have to, I feel like I've had onion layers peel off even this year, the past three years, I became less selfish, less greedy and ambitious. I could feel levels and levels and levels of ego being peeled away so I can finally be I'm growing my soul. It feels like it's a process. It's a journey. You don't always have it happen overnight.
2: You know, those magical
0: things happen. You have to stay in the the game.
2: And the book talks about sunlight of the spirit. And, you know, I really think that whenever you talked about, Lisa, what happened to you going back to school, being pregnant with twins, having twins, you didn't have any control over that. And I think that's the piece that people miss. You know, it's like God is in control and things happen in our lives because He's moving all of the pieces, whether we like it or don't like it. And when you talk about letting go, you made it sound like, you know, okay, let it go. This girl, for those listening that want to know how that happened with me, I never let anything go that didn't have claw marks in it. (laughs) I really didn't. It's like, no, I gotta keep that, I gotta have that. And, you know, that has taken me all of these 18 years to start realizing that if it feels like God wants to move it, okay, because when I try to hang on to it, I just muck it up. And so it's like, you know, but, but no, I had claws and things and it was really hard to let go. I used to like pound on things and cry and be like, you know, cigarettes. Let me just tell you this story. Those cigarettes I smoked when I drank, right? God God gave me five years to continue smoking when I quit drinking, right? And so then I learned like, okay, we're talking about Catholic. And so Lent, you give up things, right? So the very first year, I'm five years sober. I walk in, I'm like, what do you want me to give up for Lent? I'll do anything. And I heard cigarettes in my head. Well, anything but that. I'm not gonna do that, right? But I'll come to church 40 days in a row for Lent. And I did. Next year, do the same thing. Third year, I get mad. I'm like, I'm tired of hearing about it. Like, here's me to God. I'm tired of hearing about it. I don't want to quit smoke. And there's the claws and things, right? This is what happened. So about week three, I'm not giving up anything for Lent. I don't care. I'm not doing it. I walk out. and like, I've got the attitude. I've got the pride. I've got the ego, right? About three weeks into Lent, I wake up and I can't move my neck. And so go to the doc, find out. I have like one swollen lymph node over here, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm a nurse practitioner at this point in time. He puts me on 10 days of antibiotics. I go back still there, right? He looks at me and he goes, okay, you're a practitioner. What's the next step? That was sobering because I was like, "Uh, we're going to do a chest x-ray. He's like, yeah, what are we looking for? I said, cancer, lung cancer. He's like, that's exactly right. I got that x-ray taken. He did it for me that morning. It was April 19th of 2009. I had gotten sober in April of 2004, right? 2009 at 9.15 AM, I was standing in the in the radiology room at this office and my legs started shaking and I, I was staring at the corner of the room and out of that corner came a voice that was firm yet loving. It was the most firm loving voice I'd ever heard. And that voice said, I told you to quit, now quit. Oh, that was it. That's a God shot. I never picked up a cigarette after that. That's amazing. And the doctor that was taking care of me was also my friend, and I was sobbing. And he walks in and he said, "Did you look at your X-ray?" And I said, "No." And he's like, "Then why are you crying?" Because it's clear for now. And I said, "Because I have to quit smoking." (laughs) (laughs) He's like, "What?" And I never picked up another cigarette. I love it. And so I know that God is real. He's as real as we are talking on the screen. He can talk to you. He can, I mean it's 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 really amazing. Truly really
0: amazing. A, that's a may great I, story. May I ask you one thing, Lisa Word. and Darlene. How do you do you believe that only people who pray can 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 get these results? In other words, aren't we all protected or is it true that only the ones who really are praying can have the blessings of,
1: of God. Oh, no, I think God touches people all the time. I think he touches people that don't even like him. Yeah. And then they are changed or so. No, I don't believe that at all. I think he works equally. But I think once you start to, to tap into that, like Darlene, that story that you just shared, have you not been tapped into God, you would have discounted that or made it something else it could have happened to you know somebody who's an atheist or whatever still happen but they will explain it away some other way as opposed to spiritual you know because they don't want to but you were talking earlier about science and the it is so exact and i know i've talked to people that have found god by physics Mm-hmm. they were when you're quantum physics, mm-hmm. quantum physics. Quantum when physics yeah. realize how exact everything is like in nature and yes. it starts like okay there's a divine intelligence here that mm-hmm. is yes yeah so i think god is here for everybody I
2: mean, in the bible just let me let me just say this really quickly in the bible it says we are all created in god's image mm-hmm. Yeah. So if that's the case, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do. We are all in God's image. We're all God's children. And and here's the part, though. We have free will. And so if you do read the Bible, when you read about the prodigal son, he's the one that walked away from God until he ended up in a pig pen with nowhere to go, no money, no food, no anything, and realized I need to go back to my father, right? And it's the same with us. God just lets us go until we hit our bottom, whatever that bottom may be. You right. know, you, Lisa, you're saying that you had a high bottom. In, in the scheme of things, when I meet people, so did I. You know, it wasn't like I was under a bridge someplace with absolutely nothing. and had lost family, kids, and all that. As a matter of fact, I had everything. I had nice cars, a nice house, a nice job. I had it all. But you know what I didn't have? I was emotionally bankrupt. I was so empty. I wanted to commit suicide. How can you want to commit suicide when you've got such a great life? Mm-hmm.
1: That makes sense. Doesn't make sense. Well, know, emotional I mean, I really don't think, like we were saying earlier, the doctors, the therapists, they don't really get it if they're not in it, you know, and we are uniquely able to help others because we get that. Like you tell, that's kind of, you just described what my sister is going through. and And I've heard through the grapevine that she's now going to meetings, but you know, she's married to a heart surgeon, has his big life, and she's a hot mess, you know, and it doesn't matter the jewelry, the cars, the, none of that really it doesn't matter. It doesn't. it doesn't make people happy. It really doesn't.
2: You know? And you know what? This here, when I get on to do god shots, no matter how busy my day has been, no matter what I've had to go through, when I sit down and I come into this room and we start discussing this, it's like this is this is the good part. This is the good
1: right. stuff. What you matters know? in life, really, and exactly, so because it is so hard to watch people suffer and their lives just aren't working and their kids are suffering and it breaks my heart. It really does, but you know, there are those two that just they don't want to give up that lifestyle of their party friends and they're just not going to. And so I also and, and as a nurse practitioner, I'm sure you see it where these women in their 50s and 60s start to get really sick with liver problems, heart problems, you know, from the decades of drinking and they keep on, but they don't ever stop. I, and I think sometimes money is a big hindrance because when people don't lose anything because there's always a financial net around them kind of like my sister I mean she's going to be 65 and I I was kind of losing hope that she never gets sober because she's not really had she's had a lot of consequences with her kids get, being done and things like that but not where you know if she's banging her carp or whatever they just fix the car and move on right and they like but to actually and- your body gives out well, and that's
2: you, just and, it. and you have, and that's that's a bad journey at that point. Yeah, it, it's that's a terrible bad.
1: journey because mm-hmm. that's exactly what happens. The body just can't take that amount of alcohol when you get in your fifties and sixties and seventies. You know, it that's just right. and that's a, that's a hard that's a hard thing to watch because little by
2: little they're destroying vital organs.
1: Oh yeah, and, and yeah. That, and
2: they become
0: very ill. You know, my, my step sister died of full blown alcoholism at 49 mm-hmm. a couple years ago, right before Chuck died. Her, my mother's husband, my stepfather. It's sad. It's very sad, you know, but our, our culture
1: glamorizes alcohol mm-hmm. to a point that people are ashamed to not drink. And that's what I think we need to change that message. Like, why are we, I know we don't like ask people why they're not drinking but I think we need to bring it out there more that it's very cool to be sober and in control and I talked a lot about that in my book like why isn't sober the new cool you know and make it fun because it is kind of cool to have all your faculties about you <laughs> yeah and not be in a vulnerable position, right where you don't know where you are or who you're with or I mean that's really dangerous and just to be able to make healthy choices and choose like fun things. You know, I've yet to meet an alcoholic that doesn't get sober and find their gift. Like you guys found this or they start painting or gardening or they start doing something creative exactly. that they didn't do before. Have you
0: noticed that? Yes. Fact, a lot I, of believe, I believe God intersects humanity through creativity, through art, through, through appreciation When i was taking a walk one day and i noticed all these flowers i went crazy over the flowers and the beauty and i started looking up butterflies came over i'm not kidding i had a mystical experience with butterflies and i began to realize all god wants or i call the universe is interactive it needs playmates it wants to interact with us and the minute we're grateful and we're in the present moment appreciating it it starts to give us our dreams and i had so many magical little gifts that day of the thing I wanted to see most in the world was a monarch butterfly. It came right over to me, come on. And
2: do you know, whenever you talk about butterflies and and the transformation from the caterpillar to the butterfly and when it's in the cocoon, and how when it starts to mature and is trying to break out and it's struggling to get out of the cocoon, right? Just kind of like we struggled to get out of an addiction. Mm-hmm. Anybody that is in addiction of alcohol, they're going to have a little struggle because it's a habit, as you mentioned earlier, Lisa. But once you get out of that cocoon and out of that addiction, then your life starts to just explode with vibrance and butterflies and all of the magical things that you get to see. And I'm just grateful. Like I'm looking at this platform now that I don't know, Lydia, I don't remember when you trademarked, but I know I started Godshots in about 2016 on my end. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the, the length of that, you know, the year's preparation to be to this point, to have a platform, to have somebody beautiful like yourself, Lisa, come on here and share books and your journey and and help people. This is just getting the word out there one moment at a time. Somebody, I guarantee you, I promise you, there are people listening to this show right now that are gonna write in, call in because we've touched something. And I yeah. know that because and that's how god it works.
0: All the time. Yeah. yeah. That's the god shot. The god shot is that we, as two medical practitioners here, could bring the message out to people to start waking up in the medical profession. Yes. I mean, they have to start to cross that. They have to stop prescribing drugs and not looking at the root causes and the spiritual solution, which doesn't have to be all religious. It can be first taking a step forward to appreciating the beauty of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think the unified field is love. God is love. I mean, you can start that simply, but I can't explain how I'm sober every single day. I was a radioactive, drop down, dead drunk. I almost dropped my baby down the stairs in a blackout. And I went to a one moment I surrendered and everything changed. Come on, explain this to me. So what, yeah, what made you? We keep, that's what I want to, pro- I want to investigate this source of infinite love in the universe. Is it real? I know it's real. I've had practical experience of it. Mm-hmm. The application, the God gotcha shots show me like breadcrumbs every day that I have a God gotcha, shot, a coincidence that's uncanny. I realize, oh my God, it's real. I'm on the right path for mm-hmm. breadcrumbs. And that's why, and when I don't have as many, I'm too stuck in the material world worrying. When I'm in fear, I'm in, the, I'm in worrying about the future. When I'm in regret, I'm worrying about the past. Mm-hmm. When I'm in the present moment, that's when they start happening. Right. So we have to teach people to open that door, to not be afraid of the word God, use the word good orderly direction, the acronym, or use group of drugs or the goodness in the universe and if we are made in god's image and god is all good there's no opposing force except the liar the serpent the everything that's evil is a lie so is disease don't make don't make other gods before god don't put cancer above god don't make it and here's
2: the other thing too and i and lisa you may or may not know this but one of the um I don't know if it's, it's just the oddities between Lydia and myself. Like she comes from the perspective of the universe and those type of things. And I came from a background of being very um, Bible centered and, you know, church oriented and that kind of stuff, because that was in my history. And so I always say this to people when they ask, because, you know, we talk about the big book and AA, which people know about, and then there's the big, big book, which is the Bible, which is kind of based, you know, AA was based on that. And Bible just basically stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. You want (laughs) to know what to do? Read it. You know, that's it. Just read it because it's all there. And if you look at Proverbs 27, I believe, it's the one that talks about what happens to people that get drunk, because I want to make this very clear. Drinking in and of itself is nothing bad. I mean, if somebody can have a drink with dinner or with whatever and handle that, That's God doesn't just dislike that. It's not that everybody has to quit drinking, but if you're alcoholic, that creates problems and you end up just like, just like the scripture talks about you're beat up and you don't know why you have no idea what happened to you the night before you're becoming ill. You don't know why, well, it's real simple. Why?
1: I think it makes you operate on a very low vibration talking about like the universe and the spirit and all that. It's a very low vibration. When you're putting all that poison in your body. I don't think the cell, I think our cells are drowning, you know, and once you get sober, you can start, you feel lighter just because you're not drowning in all that alcohol, which is, well, a let hard. me, let me tell you this little story.
2: And I mean, I was maybe sober, not even a year. And I was doing a commitment of opening a building on a certain morning at like 630 in the morning to do an 8am meeting right. And so I was down there and I was by myself and this guy walks in. And he was of a foreign nationality to this day. I don't know. I don't know what he was. And I didn't ask, but he just asked me, he's like, can I have a cup of coffee? And I said, sure. He ended up being a taxi driver. He didn't know what AA meant. He didn't even know what he was doing there. He just knew that the door was opening, want coffee. So we were talking for a few minutes about AA. And I was telling him what the group was going to do at eight o'clock. And he looked at me as he was leaving because he got a taxi call. And he looked at me and he goes, I'm going to keep this real simple for you. He goes, I believe in the Holy Spirit and I believe it lives inside of my heart. And he goes, And if you're putting that drink in you, he goes, Then basically you're throwing water on the fire. And he just walked out. And I was like, So profound, right? <laughs> it was like, so like That's carried it crazy. with me forever. So for me to drink is putting out the Holy Spirit in me. That is for I love me. I that. Oh, I love that.
0: Yeah. yeah. So. Kills brain cells, by the way. I'll <laughs> Yeah, much of it. I mean, there are normal drinkers out there, you know. Right. Absolutely, but I'm like, darling, one, kudos to them. Here's an example of a great godshot gotcha I heard in a meeting. Right when I needed to hear this the most, I always hear the right message, and I actually ask for godshots and I hear them. It's amazing. Um, a woman friend of mine. I'd like to have her on the show, by the way, and introduce all of you to her. She was struggling on Wall Street. She was in the Wall Street banking industry, and they all went for drinks after work every every single day. And she was just newly sober, two weeks sober, and she was dreading being invited, but she had to go, and she was scared to not go with her crowd because it was part of her job. And just as the waitress went around the table, she 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 ordered a uh, she ordered a drink. She accidentally out of her mouth came, I would like a scotch. I would like a maker's mark. And then she felt guilty. And she, the waitress went all the way around the table again and came back to her and said, I'm so sorry. I forgot your drink order. And she went, oh my God, that was her gotcha. Wow. Yeah. She, she went, a Coke, a Diet Coke. <laughs> and she's never had a drink since that day. And that was also 30 years ago. Nice. Thing. Yes! Wow. Yeah. yeah, she was protected. Yeah, so, you know. very cool. That is cool. Lisa, I can't wait to read your your, your new book. And I love you this book about mindful choices in a drinking culture. Is that it on the piano? Is that it over there behind you on a table? The book? Yes. But can you hold it up for us? Okay, raising the bottom mindful choices in a drinking culture how to make mindful choices Thank um you. making mindful choices and it might <laughs> yeah, i think that's awesome lisa awesome I love yeah. you we awesome. love you your message your bio your website i'll post everything on the chat and in the logo under youtube and all the places Maybe. we're going to post the show well, we want to have you back to discuss your new book i'd love that yeah i'd love that that'd sure. be fun
2: It's been really nice meeting you, Lisa. I look forward to reading the book in its entirety um, because I think that's just going to be a great read. Well, I hope
1: you'll share it with some of your medical professionals because there's quite a few doctors and nurses in here. I said, actually, after I read, I said, oh my God, nobody's going to want to go to the hospital. (laughs) They're going to think. (laughs) We're all need recovery because I didn't realize, but you know, these are people that I had access to and they, I just knew they had great stories and we're like getting back in this, you know, mainstream of life. So um. Yeah. So I hope you will and and share it. I, with I absolutely will. And the next time
2: I'm coming through Cincinnati to get down to Kentucky or Tennessee, yeah,
1: holler. I'll do. Do. You I'm know what? In I'm i I'm a little north of Cincinnati. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna say
2: they have beautiful riverfront restaurants in Cincinnati. Yeah,
1: yeah, they do. My son lives there, but um, yeah, I would love to. That would you be know, awesome. And Lydia, We'll
0: time. get you out here. <laughs> okay, I'll we'll take a fun. road trip. I love driving across America. i'm a a road trip fanatic oh yeah well thank you
1: lady thank you for coming lisa it was a pleasure meeting you it was a pleasure meeting you both and lydia such a joy to see you face to face so thank you very
0: much thank you i love you thank you so much for being on our show we can't wait to have you back and we'll say goodbye for now but we'll put the books in the chat thank you so much thank you bye-bye bye